You are now listening to The Seedcast. This week on The Seedcast, Andrew Nault and Julia Luft welcome musician Ari Sadowitz to the show. Ari is a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter currently involved in Model Decoy, Rare Futures, and most recently, Cuckoo. Ari covers a lot of ground in this episode, touching on his early inspirations and influences, education, human feel in music, the importance of play in music making, and the inherent musicality in all of us. So without further ado, episode 20 with musician Ari Sadowitz. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Seedcast, everyone. This is, of course, Andrew Nault hanging out with Julia Luft. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and today, we are very excited to welcome musician Ari Sadowitz to the show. What's up, dude? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you keep yourself pretty busy currently with uh, projects Model Decoy, Rare Futures, and Cuckoo. Correct. Yeah, dude. So, uh... Before we get to all those, we like to start out with when you started out. When did music become a thing in your life? Oh, man. Um, I think my first real, like, big musical memory was um, I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, and we mm-hmm. used to go to these shows that, that Yale would put on at this big, like, beautiful concert hall downtown. And I remember seeing Lady Smith Black Mambazo, which was the kind of chorus essentially on the paul simon album graceland oh Oh, shit and it was just i must have been i don't know i feel like i was like five but just captured by that immense spirit and like communal joy and this would have been at the time that like probably 1990 when you know like quote unquote world music was like (laughs) really hip as a new genre yeah it was like everything that wasn't you know from the states was this like, big catch-all category of world so i feel like that was that was really popping off right then yeah we talked about that that title recently and how full of shit it is so funny what a stupid way to name music world music jesus anyways it's all, i mean it's all all world music right um right. yeah so i think that was my first memory that's pretty intense yeah it yeah. was it was big it was like a big like a feeling you know a very mm-hmm. like live concert event feeling mm-hmm. but music was always on in the house and when i was six or seven, probably about six i told my parents that i wanted to play banjo like yeah i don't really know why like i wasn't like yeah like you know i love banjo i don't remember <laughs> loving banjo but they were like oh we looked around you know we looked around the um we looked around town and there's no banjo teachers like I don't, you know, it was probably bullshit. They probably didn't look for a six-year-old, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to be like, yeah, I'll take a six-year-old uh, banjo student. Um, so they were like, what about guitar? And I was like, well, okay, that's cool. Yeah. And that's how guitar started for me. Jeez. But music was always around, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man. It, a lot of musicians that we talk to, the instrument that they love and that they started on was just kind of like happenstance. Like, oh, we have one available. Yeah. I will play that. And I get that because as a parent, 
I mean, there's so many instruments, right? And there's so mm-hmm. many instruments with a like very high, difficult barrier to entry, like a mm-hmm. uh, woodwind or like, <laughs> I don't know, so many other things. Right. So I feel like obviously piano was big for that reason because, well, I don't know about now, but I feel like households used to have pianos. Like that was like mm-hmm. a thing. But I don't know. Kids' instruments are also, there's always like the really shitty, like rainbow colored versions of the thing. <laughs> And then there's like the real thing. (laughs) And I don't know if that like, you know, if you're like, here's a xylophone as a kid, like, does that kid then be like, I really want to play xylophone? Like, I don't, I don't think so. Not that I've seen so far. (laughs) Definitely not. As a kid who grew up with a xylophone, I can attest to that not sparking a uh, (laughs) desire to pursue music. Yeah. I mean, we have that little, like the little, you know, Fisher Price one or or whatever. And Mm. I would say it hangs out in the area that I'm sitting more, which has like my like little mini keyboard and like guitar and stuff. So like I'll bust that out and throw the mic on it, you know, <laughs> just messing around for a tune. But my daughter, you know, she's not into it, but she is, I did get her a guitar for her third birthday. Mm. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. So that, and she's, we can get into that with, with her band later, but, um, right. <laughs> but she is like full on, like, I mean, I taught her, I taught her the horns, the, yes. the devil horns, probably when she was like two and oh, yeah. she's full on <laughs> Dude, rocker, yes. rocker that is now. amazing it's awesome so after seeing that show when you were young and starting to play guitar was there a moment where you were like oh shit this is the thing i think the moment when i started feeling well when i when i was playing guitar it was classical guitar it was like mm-hmm. you know you sit it's pointed like this way the neck is like you know pointed up and you're you're holding it, you know. You, you use like a footrest on your on your foot, and it's very like. My teacher was like, "You need to grow the fingernails on your right hand." I was like, "Dude, I'm seven. Like, <laughs> not gonna happen. Like, how am I supposed to play GI Joes with like you know fingernails that are long only on one hand? Like that, that just makes no sense." So I just I never I can never I can never hang with that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus the music that I was playing was like not hip you yeah. know it was uh, like right. the suzuki method you know like uh duets and stuff and it was really pretty in its own way but it wasn't cool to me so then mm-hmm. i started playing like you know like rock rock guitar with a mm-hmm. with a teacher um in town and one day he played stevie ray vaughn for me he played pride and joy for me i i took lessons with a friend of mine and the friend like wasn't really that into guitar and that was the moment where i could tell that i was really into it and and my friend's Spencer wasn't he was just right. kind of like okay I'm like that that did, that didn't grab the way it grabbed me mm. and those first that opening line you know with those like the unison e mm-hmm. strings which I was like what the fuck like what is that it was yeah. that moment where I had the thing in my hand but there was a complete I could see a complete ocean of disconnect between what this you know mm. weathered probably drunk texas blues man was doing and what i was doing with my like you know 12 year old struggling right fingers right yeah so is that when like practicing kicked into full gear i think so and that's something that i've never been good at is practicing like i remember my dad he he like printed up a contract for me to sign that was like i will practice you know 45 minutes a day or whatever um Mm. and i had to sign the contract (laughs) 
I think I had one for like taking out the trash too. It was like, I will take out the trash for my, like for my allowance too. But I feel like I got, I started to get more proficient at that point. I had a Squire strat, like a sunburst strat, you know, just like, mm-hmm. just like Stevie. Yep. Um, well, not just like, but you know, <laughs> an approximation. And then I started taking it seriously and that led to like to continuing those lessons and then it led to going to a summer camp like a music camp for like mm-hmm. five summers or, or something that was very intense and intensive so i learned a lot mm-hmm. learned a lot there that's sick and then you went to eventually went to college for music right i did not go to college for music no i went oh, to shit. um my bad i went to this public high school here in, in new haven that was just not a very good school but mm. i wanted to do this arts magnet program that they had for the second half of the day called the educational center for the arts. Mm. So my first half of the day w- would be go to regular school, learn nothing. Um, <laughs> and it was a school that was like, it was a culture shock for me. Cause I grew up uh, kindergarten through ninth grade. I went to this very small, like school, where you knew people for 10 years and it was like, you know, friends forever, like that, mm. that kind of thing. And then most kids from there were sort of funneled into like a private educational mm-hmm. system, like a, like a, mm-hmm. which was essentially pre-college, you know, these like pre, private college kind of vibe and i was like no i'm gonna go to public school so i can like play music and you know so Mm -hmm. it's one of these schools that you know two thousand kids and the basketball team is awesome and nobody cares about learning right but the the arts education that i got there was was awesome so like the first when i was a sophomore i remember i was the only incoming guitar player and everybody else was a senior and a junior and the assignment for the jazz combo the band was to learn and play kind of blue Oh, like shit. from the sheet music and i was like i had heard jazz because my dad was a big fan but like digging into that record was just like a total mindfuck a because it's one of the greatest albums of all time but b because there's no guitar player on that record and right. so i was like trying to read you know bill evans um and like winton kelly piano like and transpose it to guitar and it was just like a, a crazy experience as a freshman in high school as a, well, as a sophomore, but yeah, oh, but that was, that was wild. So that, so that was like a, that was, that was like a watershed moment, I would say too. And I, and I never really nailed it, but I feel mm-hmm. like I got close enough to kind of faking it. I think there was a mm. piano player. Yeah. There must've been a piano player also, but it was like, how do we divide the, you know, how do we orchestrate this? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I took, I took like a year, I like did the whole year off thing. Cause I was playing in my own band at that point. I was like, I'm going to, you know, we're going to go on tour. We're going to, we have a van, we have a trailer, like we're going to do this. And we like <laughs> did it, you know? Yeah. And it was hard. Yeah. And the music we were making was very like unique and we really believed in it. But after that year it was like, okay, like now what? Cause I feel right. like when you're, when you're a kid, you're like a year is so long. Right. <laughs> it's just like not a long time. It's really not, especially when you're devoting it to something. It's like, what do you do when that year is up? Do you say like, I'm going to do another year? Or in my case, mm-hmm. I was like, I should probably go to college. So some friends of mine had gone to the new school in New York. So I was like, I'll go there. <laughs> um, I got in and it was just one of those situations where they had like a liberal arts degree, like a generalized, mm-hmm. like you get a degree at the end of this thing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. And like took some cool classes and eventually did audition for their jazz school, which is like, has had just an incredible legacy of musicians go through it. Mm-hmm. And I got accepted, but they were like, you basically have to start from the beginning. Like all of your credits won't transfer. And so all this time, like these two or three years that you would put in 
to college already, they don't count. Oh, so at that point, I was like, nah, yeah, that's not gonna that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no way, dude. So yeah, formal formal music education didn't. I always flirted with the idea, mm-hmm. and I guess in retrospect, it's possibly something that. I don't know if I'm regretful about not doing it, but I think if I had found a specialization, if it wasn't like, okay, you're going to get a jazz performance degree, mm-hmm. you know, there are all these, you know, cool, like programs about music cognition and, and that sort of thing, like from a different angle approaching it. Um, Cause in my, in my head, I was like, I don't want to be like a jazz guitar player. Right. And I felt like if I have a degree in jazz, I'm like, I'm a jazz player. And uh, I don't know. That's, that's super like teen like way to look at it like man i want this but like <laughs> that's how i that's how i felt at the time right that's so fascinating i feel like when you pursue an education that's specified in the arts it could obviously there are different in-betweens of the spectrum but it like it could help you or it could hurt you and it sounds like you kind of already knew how to look for things and how to entertain yourself with music that you didn't really need that structure in place to tell you how to do it yeah, I think that's true to a degree. I always felt like, I mean, for me, it was always like, I just want to, the, the most fun thing to me about music was creating it mm-hmm. when there were those times to jam and just to like, you know, there's no agenda. That was yeah. always the most fun to me. Knowing what I know now, it's like, if someone had said, okay, I get that, but if you study and like, mm-hmm. you really learn how to say read or like you really learn like a, the, the standard repertoire, then like that can only serve those jams. You know, it can mm-hmm. only increase your knowledge of this language. If somebody had really put it to me plainly like that, I, cause I wasn't really think I wasn't connecting those dots necessarily. Right. And right. I don't think that those two things should be, you know, at odds with each other. And I think that that happens in the conservatory setting and the, and the, um, you know, Andrew and I have talked a lot about, you know, your education at Berkeley and, yep. you know, talking to a lot of, a lot of other cats in Boston who have gone there. And hearing so many stories about people who've gone there for a year, two years, and just been like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yep. Like, I got what I needed out of it, or I just wasn't feeling it. And then go on to have these like insane, you know, careers working in music. Mm-hmm. But I think that the education should totally serve that end game of communicating through music, not like now you learn, you know, learn the classics and like that you have to do that. If someone just said, you have to do it because it's knowledge base. It's common knowledge right. base. Right. You have to like learn the letters in order to, to make the words. Right. Yeah. I mean, being at Berkeley, it was really interesting because I did not feel creative while I was there. I was taking so much in the whole time that I didn't feel like I could put anything out, which um, also similar for me was the thing that was very exciting about music. It was like, how do I just make stuff? I don't want to play what that guy did. He already did that. I want to make more stuff. And the the correlation didn't really line up for me either. Like I wasn't seeing like, oh, if I learn these jazz standards, like all this heavy music that I play will be influenced by that. But now when I listen to it, it's like, oh shit, all those rhythms and like weird chords and like the metric modulation, all that shit is all in there. It just mm-hmm. came to me later, you know, yeah, and I, yeah. I kind of like learned so much in a condensed period that it stifled me. But then when I felt creative again, it all seeps in and makes things more interesting. If someone had said, you go to school and learn technique and like practice to 
sort of economize that synthesis to like just make it smoother Mm -hmm. then i would have been like oh okay that like really makes sense to me yeah Mm -hmm. but i don't think that that's laid out in especially like arts education it's like there's like these strictures and confinements Mm -hmm. which of course can work but but yeah i always was just like i just want to like make my own thing Mm -hmm. and play my own way, which I mm-hmm. totally see that stubbornness, like in my three-year-old daughter, he's just like, I want it my way. No, you can't tell me. It's like, <laughs> oh, like this sounds familiar in a way. <laughs> but that's like, to me, the, the problem that I had with pursuing a higher education was like, everything that I learned was so focused on other people and other people's capabilities that it felt exhausting to me and kind of like, like why am I here then? You know what I mean? If they're if they're yeah. that good, like you're telling me that what I have nothing to say and that I can't say it in my own way. But if they pitched it like if you learn how these guys translated their ideas into reality, if you learn that method, then translating your own ideas will be streamlined and more yeah. simple. You know? Exactly. I mean, you listen to I mean, uh, you know, we mentioned Miles Davis, but you know, John Coltrane wrote some of the heaviest music of all time mm. like you put that shit up against i don't know who's a he- name a heavy band but like any you know anybody that that has that like deep sort of like spiritual like cathartic right. mm-hmm. you know and then could just shred yeah. like he's like playing basically playing like mashuga tunes like <laughs> but on soprano sax and tenor sax it's like so i feel like and and we've, we've talked about this before like your teachers were looking at it from a you know a big picture narrative as opposed to like this is your jazz degree. Like then right. what, what kind of music are we talking about here? And what, right. and where does it, where's the music that I, you know, want to make, where does that fit into that, that spectrum? Mm-hmm. When did you figure out you knew what kind of music you wanted to make? I, st- I feel like I don't, I still don't know because <laughs> okay. I, I, at this point I try to listen to a lot of different, different stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have records that I go back to and I'm just like, you know, there are those times where I'm like, I really want to listen to, you know, whatever it is, but you know, on my Spotify, I'm like checking the release radar and like still every Friday, like I was like the guy, you know, every Tuesday that was like, what's new in the CD store, you know, like mm-hmm. let me flip through and, you know, take a chance on stuff. And, and I just feel like there's so, well now, especially now I feel like there's this inundating amount of content that like, yeah, I mean, even now I have like the, the band camp tab open. Cause I, I, you know, consciously try to, you know, support artists through that mm-hmm. platform mm-hmm. more. And it has that that like feed of like this is what people are buying and it's just like whizzing by so many artists it's astounding and i feel like i'm still just i i'm discovering new stuff all the time in my Mm -hmm. listening habits yeah and i think that my own music um i think as a guitar player i definitely go back and forth between like oh yeah like I'm, i'm like really finding a voice and just being like i don't know what i'm saying and like I don't know what the hands do <laughs> together. Like they don't, we're just like, these don't work right. right now. And the hardest part I think about that is just being okay, having mm-hmm. those days mm-hmm. and not getting hung up on like, well, if I had practiced, if I had gone to music school, if I had practiced eight hours a day and like, right. then this wouldn't happen. Well, it's, it happens to everybody. Right. But yeah, I think playing in multiple projects and collaborating with different kinds of people, like, I think that's always exciting too. Mm-hmm. That's an exciting part of playing music. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's been difficult the past, you know, yeah. however long, yeah. yeah, 
2020 is still extending into. It's like, <laughs> but, how long a year is? Sixteen longest year ever. Fucked. But I think I'm still trying to find that. Yeah, yeah but I would say, in knowing you and playing a lot of music with you, uh, on different instruments as well, because you're a multi instrumentalist, everything that I hear you play, you sound like yourself, which I think for a lot of people, if they don't diversify their input as much as you have, then it's way more difficult to find your own voice. I don't know if that sounds convoluted or not, but to me, it's kind of like if you're still searching and you're still able to explore, you're going to come through in that no matter what. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that exploratory attitude, that's important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm definitely a person who has on this hard drive next to me, like just so many tracks that I'm like, I know that I went, you know, into a rabbit hole, like building these tracks out and then I'll look back and just be like, I don't being okay with like not knowing what it's for, Mm -hmm. I think. And Andrew talking to you about, you know, getting drab off the ground and figuring out that, that kind of solo, solo project vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, starting to, especially now, like kind of getting my head out of the sand a little bit and saying like, I mean, you know, like what could these things be? Mm-hmm. Because like we just said, collaboration is hard right now. Like challenging that self exploration, I mm-hmm. think is terrifying, but yeah. very valuable. Mm-hmm. In that writing process, do you, prefer the exploratory approach or do you need to know where it's going as you're writing it i think the exploratory approach is like it's playing to me it's like that's my play time that's my Mm -hmm. time to you know get in the sandbox dig in the dirt i feel like looking back on the years of stuff you know maybe i was a little bit too lax with it or i was just like i just have all this time like you know and like because i did I did. And right. I think having kids just flips the script and you're like, you don't have, you don't have shit. Like you don't have any time. <laughs> and if you do have time, you're like, you're just like, you open the computer and you're like, oh, like this fucking, I can't like, like, you can't like your brain is so overloaded. But the other night, like I finally, we're, we're sort of like in a new routine here with, with the family. And I was like, I, you know, it's like 10 30. I could, I could rock for like two hours mm-hmm. and I just sat down and I think I don't know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it'll start with like a chord progression. And that's one thing where I do know that I don't want it to sound the same as mm-hmm. stuff. I like chromatics a lot, chromaticism. And I like, you know, I like uh, steely Dan and stuff like that, where it's like, there's an accessibility to it, but you listen to the chord structure or the progression. I think that's what I took from jazz in a lot of ways. It's mm-hmm. like, you can go anywhere. You don't have to do the standard, you know, whatever it is. And then when you do feel like, you know what this needs is that standard like chord thing. You can just kind of drop it in there mm. and you know how it's going to play in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So it's mostly exploring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you measure that accessibility though? Cause I feel like, especially when you're not collaborating as much as you used to be able to, like, it's hard to, to gauge that when you're almost creating in a vacuum, like you're kind of mm-hmm. the only person who's listening to it and you don't have anybody to bounce it off of. How do you maintain that like accessibility, 
but still that freshness and newness. Mm. I think for me, it's come down to in the last couple of years is, is challenging myself to write melodies. Mm. And I've worked in, in this project model decoy. That's myself and a singer friend of mine, Duran Flake. Shout out to D. It's his birthday today. He's 40. Oh, shit. Happy, birthday, four, birthday, oh, happy D. birthday, D. An incredible singer and incredible lyricist. So clever, with, with also weird tendencies, but he's the kind of guy that's like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I just put stuff down. Like I have no idea, you know, that kind of musician where mm-hmm. you're, you're sort of like, we'll just like, let's try to talk, talk about it. And then we can like have a common language about it. And, mm-hmm. um, but with him, <laughs> I always thought that what I was writing, I would just send to him and send and send and send. And that's, Shout out D. I know you, you he wouldn't uh deny this that like I've sent him a lot of tracks and there's stuff where I'm just like, yo, I, that was that was dope. Like what happened? He'd be like, Oh, I like I didn't open that. I'm like, that's it's been two months. Like stuff like that. <laughs> um and so I think getting sort of like saying that there's specific stuff that he digs, and then there's like this whole swath of other stuff that I like, then like what are the melodies that I hear? Mm-hmm. And I think listening to music more for melody is such, or quote unquote, top line, as they say in the pop world, mm. is such a, there's that line where it can tip into like real commodification and it just mm-hmm. feels like a little gross, but like a good melody, a good hook is like undeniable. So mm-hmm. that's where the accessibility comes in. And so writing, trying to write those chords again, that's like the Steely Dan thing. It's like you write this crazy chord progression, then you're like, here's the perfect, you know, melody. Mm-hmm. sung by a guy who sounds like his mouth is full of marbles but it's the perfect <laughs> melody <laughs> so it's a challenge though it's such a challenge yeah. for me yeah yeah i can't do that i can't write melodies and it's something that i never think about and having this conversation right now is like oh shit maybe that is something that is keeping my my releases on the more outside of the bell curve you know what i mean kind of like you're trying to reach that perfect middle ground where it peaks at the top of like super creative versus like unbelievably mundane you're trying to meet in the middle and figuring out what that melody what that hook is that's how you meet in the middle yeah but then there are those bands and those those artists who like they're they sort of make every part a hook like you hear that from producers a lot where you'll hear an interview with the producer like you know like pharrell or someone who's just like we just made like the beat is a hook the baseline is a hook and then you listen to those tracks and you're like damn he's right like every part of that song like whatever get lucky is like it's all just one giant chorus made up of little choruses where it's right where that's right. this that's whole crazy. other this whole other goal and this whole other way of looking at music which is like it's so accessible that I don't know, the kick drum. You could just be like, that's that get lucky kick drum. It's, like, you know, like, it's, a, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy when it's on, on that level. Yeah, that's like a whole equation that isn't even on my radar when I yeah. try to make something. Yeah. I mean, when you, sit, when you sit down for like a drab tune, are you, you know, going through sounds, kind of seeing what, what's inspiring? Or are you sitting down and saying like, this is a, this is a tempo that I, that I like? Oh, or, dude, if I try to plan anything... And I, and I did that with Drab initially. Believe it or not, Dra- Drab was my attempt to make something that was more accessible. It did not work <laughs> out. I sat down being like, I'm going to make like electronic music that I can actually like 
do solo on the road and like take it out and perform it and have people like dance around you know what i mean and like have a good time <laughs> some weird and then, dance moves <laughs> yeah well it's crazy man you know I, when i first did that first tour with arms and sleepers i had never played a show with music that made people want to happily dance and that was like a fucking game changer i mean i love dark intense heavy brooding music and i love like to me that that melodic feeling is the most exciting part of music to me i can't i can't shake it and i don't think i ever will mm -hmm. it just resonates with me in a way but then playing a show where i saw people like dance and smile while we were performing i was like this is insane this is like like i just unlocked like a whole other world you know so then i sat down and i was like i'm gonna make that and then drab came out and it's not that <laughs> uh, so every time i sit down with a plan it never happens and with drab for me making electronic music has been about finding the excitement in the sound it's like mm -hmm. i just twist knobs and distort things and like grab weird samples that people wouldn't think to use and i fuck with them until i feel excited and then i just want as soon as i feel excited i say okay you have two hours to make a structure go mm. and then that's it that's how i do it i like that because i think that that's i think when you find like the appropriate level of limitation um mm -hmm. i think that that's that's cool like what i'm finding now is combing through um some older stuff and is like i'll hear it i'm like man this like i'll just this could be so much better and then two hours have gone by and i've like tweaked this old thing Mm -hmm. where i just know that what i've done whether it's like i you know i bought the i've just threw down for that plugin or like i you know i whatever have the right keyboard sound it's mm -hmm. where you can make it better mm -hmm. i feel like i'm combing back through the old stuff and doing that mm -hmm. which i think is okay because you know that stuff is not it hasn't been released mm -hmm. to the world so who knows if that if or when that that'll happen but um it's also less daunting to like have a launching pad that's already there you know like creating something out of thin air is one thing but responding to something you've already made is i don't want to say that it's easier but it like there's already some clay to be molded there so mm -hmm. um yeah i i remember i used to throw away all of my old sketches and i like and now i it, it's borderline pack rat at this point but i like <laughs> hold on to like misprints and like mm -hmm. uh prints with skid marks and like just shit that i fucked up to to hold on to use later and it um yeah it's helpful just to have something to respond to yeah when we talked with uh my buddy harris who's also a fantastic musician he said that making music or art is like time traveling with yourself over and over again mm -hmm. that's so i true. feel like that's yeah. definitely what you're stepping into right there. It's like, yeah. oh shit, this thing was exciting to me fucking five years ago. And it's still exciting to me now, but there's more life to input into it. Definitely. How yeah. do you, do you hold on to everything or uh, does there have to be something that is worth saving? Um, to like pinpoint, you know? No, I mean, so I'll definitely open up some like, some files and I'm just like, yo, that's, that's terrible. Like, that's <laughs> just you like had a little too much whiskey or like <laughs> yeah. where you're just like that's so slow that's usually what happens to me where it's like that is so fucking slow like too slow <laughs> um 
and then some stuff you're just like you have the opposite where you're like well that's actually like i thought that that was not cool and now i feel like it's cool and it could it has legs to go somewhere else so mm-hmm. well, let's 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 see let's see mm-hmm. but there's definitely a lot and, and some of these you know the tracks have made it into you know model decoy songs um some of them i'm pulling out rare futures is is we're kind of circling up after man we started we jammed in like 2018 on some stuff and had this nice little crop of songs and then you know just everybody working and Mm -hmm. uh then it was like oh here's march 2020 um even if we wanted to do stuff you know it was difficult so we're we're sort of finally now getting getting on our feet Mm -hmm. and then i was like oh I i think i have some stuff i think i have some stuff and it's and it's nice to feel in a band environment where i can present like fully produced out demos um Mm -hmm. like have that have that confidence Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot of the other stuff i'm just like i don't know i just don't know Mm -hmm. so we'll i guess we'll see like i don't there's no plan right now i know that oftentimes i struggle with uh kind of some things that you were talking about like a little bit of self-doubt in the creative moment um is there something that uh some type of technique that you use or some something that always keeps you coming back even after you have those moments of doubt i think that the doubt for me comes with the sharing of the thing like Mm -hmm. not necessarily the ideas process itself like that tends to be like i said it's fun it is like you're playing music like it's called playing music like you should be playing even if it's the darkest shit you ever heard like it should be it have an element of play whatever that means to you mm-hmm. but i think when it comes to sharing ideas there's there's a lot of like oh does that does that sound good is that like is that loud enough like is there enough compression on the kick drum like oh shit. like it's not hitting and then like you know if you ever play your stuff for people for the first time and uh the song ends and it, you know people are like cool <laughs> all right so uh <laughs> next next so, so like what, next song like yeah like that moment you're just like what does that mean like yes yeah. Yeah. What is cool? <laughs> but I think that in my bands, I was sort of, or have been always sort of the one who's like, what about this idea? Like, what if we just like, again, like sort of took a less standard approach. I'm not saying that I'm like this, you know, avant-garde musician that's like coming in with like, you know, what if we did like a throat singing, like Tibetan uh, interlude? Like, no, I'm saying like, what if we just, instead of going in that chord or instead of like dropping on the one, like we drop on the, for the end of and of one so stuff like that where it's a mm-hmm. little less expected and i think I, i've been in situations where i've gotten that response like hmm, it's cool but that's ah, uh, you know what we're just gonna go in a different direction and you're like <laughs> okay yeah the project i was i did not have that experience in was uh pale gloom with yeah with dude. you andrew like that was a that was a writing process and a recording process where i was like oh that's as far as you think you you're gonna go well, like you better go farther bro like 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 <laughs> yeah. dial it up as many notches as you want yep. like play the intervals that are like you know stretch your fingers and just the gnarliest shit and that's when everybody gets excited so yeah. that was a project that gave me confidence in mm. searching for those sounds and searching for those Damn, dude. um that's really cool that's sort of like 
way of playing. Yes. I've definitely, and I've definitely worked with, with people who are like so good at that pop, you know, that, that pop vibe. We're like, mm-hmm. damn, like that is so hooky. But I, you know, I'm always like, but, but what is going to like make it a little bit weirder? Mm-hmm. That's and so that, cool. Pale Gloom was, well, let's, what's going to make it a lot weirder? <laughs> yeah, dude. I've, yeah, I really wanted to make that stuff just, I wanted people to go as far as they could push themselves. I was Fucking. so upset when he shared that project with me because it was it was recently that he sent it to me and I was like stop sending me music you don't make anymore because I like it and then I don't get any more of it and then I'm upset yeah yeah um yeah. it was a very that was cool a, project I think it was four people that got together at the perfect moment and there was some lightning in a bottle that probably just wasn't supposed to exist beyond that yeah, now it's on like cassette in Japan or something. Is that <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. only way you can get, can get it? I think that was a period of time where I felt just completely uninhibited creativity when I was writing with all those with all those individuals. Yeah, so, same. Cool. I mean, I just remember like because I was coming up from New York and like catching those buses was like such a hell hellscape. I'm like catching the mega bus and the <laughs> bolt bus and the Funwa bus what I wouldn't give now to get on a bus with other people <laughs> right. and go play music in a room with other people. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so you both were talking about like pushing those boundaries and just like saying yes to each other and just uh, that lightning in a bottle effect. Did you guys always, I mean, I guess this is for both of you of just like trusting that decision-making. Like, did you always trust your instincts and your taste or was there something that, validated it that allowed you to say yes to yourself that unabashedly Mm. i mean it is those instances where somebody else you know and it can be so small when you're playing live on stage and like you get that look you know from the when in um when you guys were talking to phil and he was talking about you andrew being in the crowd (laughs) you know and getting fired up about like you get that look about somebody in the crowd or or your bandmate that just gives you that like yeah like that little yeah that little like i i hear that because music yeah. is about listening to each other and i think that in like a rock setting in my experience for a while it was like about you know like we're gonna play to a click and we're gonna like we're just gonna go ham and just put on a show and in in that stuff like you lose a lot of the listening mm-hmm. um and that's what you have to do. And, and that's another, like one of those jazz things too. It's like those, a, a jazz player has to listen. Like that's, that's part of the music. You have to converse. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what I've lacked a lot in like the rock context okay. is like, where you just like, here's the song and here's the form and like we play. So in those moments where somebody listens to what you do and says like, that, that was cool. Like mm-hmm. those, those little moments, those are, those are validating. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we've talked a lot about the exchange of energy, but when you put as many restrictions as like, this is a form we're playing to a click, the exchange of energy kind of diminishes over time for me. When you allow yourselves the freedom to stretch on certain things and really uh, pull different colors or, or highlight different things every time you play a song, like, yes, there is a form, but you know, whatever you did that time over this one part of the form, that's the thing today. You know what I mean? Like, that's what, 
gets the energy moving again. I feel like it's super important to always allow yourself space to stretch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after, you know, RIP Chick Corea, but, you know, going back, I was like, damn, like, I haven't listened to Return to Forever in, in, in a long time. And I put on those, those records and it's just like, holy shit. Like, it's the fastest, heaviest, like, most insane music. But you can tell that it wouldn't exist if those four individuals were not listening to each other and not really right. present because that stuff like you yes they're playing these intricate forms but like you said within those within the, the constraints there is freedom mm-hmm. that's that's what is exciting to me that's that sort of dynamic not seeing a rock band that yeah i think the playing to a click thing like that can be a real bum out mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. elasticity there right you got to vibe with it. Like, Hey, you come off stage or whatever, come out of the studio doing a take and you're like, that was too slow. Then you just say, okay, like, let's, let's get some energy. Let's bring some life into it. And you can, right. it's more of a living and breathing thing. Right. What's really interesting too, like, especially touring with playing drums for an electronic project with arms and sleepers, the tempo is the same every night. It's exactly the same. And some nights, songs will feel punishingly slow, mm. even though it hasn't changed. Like We did one tour that was over two months long. We played almost every night. And every single night, there was always a song that I was like, this isn't it right now. Like, whatever's happening, mm-hmm. even though it's exactly the same, sucks. <laughs> and I wish, I wish we could just play around with it a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think, you know what? Uh, let me rephrase. Like, I, it's not that I don't like playing to a click. It's that I think too often it just becomes that mechanical thing. Mm-hmm. But there are ways to do it right. Like when you see, you know, Abe Cunningham play drums with Deftones, um, or yeah. whatever Kelly play drums with Failure. Like I think those guys are playing to a click. But it's just mm-hmm. like your existing, you know, your micrometer is such that your time feel is such mm-hmm. that you can manipulate. It's like the click is one more percussion instrument that nobody else can hear but you and if you're you know manipulating it in such a way that feels human Mm -hmm. that's that's gold too yeah i feel like creativity is all about those little human moments even when there is confines because you know when people are being creative no matter what their medium there's always some sort of confines to it Mm. you're never completely free to just do anything because then you know, like you wouldn't be able to quantify it as music or painting, you know. So when you're saying playing to a click, you mean like playing to a very like niche group of people? No. No? Playing to a metronome in often the drummer's ear, not a mm-hmm. not a C-L-I-Q-U-E, okay. but a C-L-I-C-K, like a okay. metronome. It's, it's, you know, two artists that come to mind who want passed away recently in one um his it was just his birthday and every year on his birthday people are like you know they bow their heads but jay dilla and mf doom mm-hmm. it's like when you listen to their music it's just like you know people describe it as woozy or, or drunk or or like this sort of like but it's it's human it's mm-hmm. it's it's so imperfect and so like fucked up that that that's how we communicate feeling is, mm-hmm. is in stuff that's not perfect and stuff that's not and we're we're in this like algorithmically driven world now where everything is you know fed 
to us from somewhere else that is a machine mm-hmm. which are designed to be for that perfection and for that like you know again i just watched the social dilemma so i'm on this, this like tip <laughs> yeah. but like yeah but like you know you're not in control of your habits but like mm-hmm. humans need that the control and the control of their habits is so imperfect so mm-hmm. so twisted so like when you hear doom rapping and dilla beats you're just like that's what's so gripping about them to me is their mm-hmm. human quality mm-hmm. really speaks to your playing too because to me you're one of my favorite feel musicians that i've ever played with thank you man uh yeah dude that pocket is just undeniable and the way that you stretch especially being most of the time the drummer in the project the way that you stretch over what i'm playing gets me like in the feels gets me nice. very excited and and very, very we've, cool. we've been talking about guitar this whole time but playing bass is like i mean like i, I feel like i'm 50 50 on the instruments mm-hmm. in terms of enjoyment but sometimes it's just like 100 percent bass where i'm just mm-hmm. like guitar is so like the strings are small and there's more of them and like it's just like all this extraneous shit where bass has this like element of simplicity where the, the time feel and the the pocket are like so baked into the what it is for me whereas guitar you're sort of painting it's like painting with different colors like you know you're painting over the top usually but bass allows me to have that human imperfection which is which is feel Mm -hmm. um so in the projects that i've been able to play bass in it's so much fun and you can also like pull people along with you in a way that you can't with guitar because if you try to do that with guitar it just sounds like you're kind of playing wrong, like off like right. wrong right but being in a rhythm section is is just so much fun like a yeah, classic drums and bass i've said it before but i think bass is the most rhythmically influential instrument in the band i think it fucking changes everything if there's somebody with great feel on the bass you're unstoppable yeah. everybody else can like on top of that can do whatever the hell they want and yeah. it doesn't matter you yeah. know that's where the heartbeat is is that something that just comes with the instrument or is that like a, uh, a like a virtuosic characteristic? I feel like with bass, there's, I mean, I think with all in- instruments, especially now in like the age of Instagram, like we see all this like real, you know, virtuosic like stuff where you're just like, that's, there's so many notes, like there's so like on every instrument, yeah. drum, drums, especially like, um, yeah. Yeah, but I think I bass is like, it's about, and you see that on bass too, where guys are like six string basses and you know, whatever, and like tapping. And I'm like, that's not, that's not me personally, but I think you can do that sort of be the whole band per- percussively, um, in ways that are more impactful mm-hmm. because you're just carrying so much. Yeah. And if you push or pull a little bit, I guess that's, that's, you know, what Andrew was just saying, it's like, you're the most rhythmically influential part of the band, but yeah, it's like, listen to like you know pino paladino play like anything and you're just like damn like you are just so smooth and so right Mm -hmm. whereas guitar can be like oh there's so many guitars like why'd you layer like four guitars like nobody's going in the studio and being like give me like four bass tracks like (laughs) but guitarists are all like give me another one give me another one like i'm gonna put the harmony and you're like no that's just totally and i'm guilty of that too you know like (laughs) playing guitar but but bass, you just, I want to play the takedown and yeah. then, you know, where the kick drum and the bass hit together and you're like, yeah, 
that's mm-hmm. uh yep that'll do like that's, yep. yep that's right i love guitar tone so much that i will just never stop putting more guitars same <laughs> when we did that pale gloom record i think we tracked like on some songs there was like 30 guitar tracks because <laughs> you're just like well why not like oh what's this pedal do and like you're like this it's i just got this and let me oh let me try it out you know on that model decoy tune that we did too it was like give me another solo give me another like give me more tracks more dude hopefully they come together because in that same way of rock bands playing to a click there was like a period of time in the mid 2000s i'd say where i was like in the in a van touring where you know everybody had you know this haircut the swoop and you know the skinny jeans and um <laughs> you know everybody was trying to be a certain kind of kind of thing where it was like we're gonna layer you know six rhythm guitars like you don't need that right like, nobody needs that no like it doesn't help to me stuff like that doesn't help the sound nine times out of ten mm-hmm. but so with all of that layering in the recording process do you have to reconfigure all of it or reconstruct it for the live performance or is it usually a pretty direct translation? I feel like in that period, there was a lot of like two guitar bands where there was like the traditional rhythm guitarist Mm -hmm. and the like lead guy. And there, at that point there were like, you know, rock bands playing a tracks too. That was really popular and I'm sure Mm -hmm. still is in a certain way, but a lot of that stuff doesn't, translate live mm-hmm. like you'll go to the show and they'll like hit the whatever bulbs on the downbeat of the chorus to give you that impact but then you listen to the record and you're like it sounds huge like why mm-hmm. why is that mm-hmm. why did it sound like because there was only one guitar player yeah. on stage hitting that not six yeah i think that's something that i've always enjoyed about making music with you because I, i've creatively made music with you and then i've also played shows where I'm I'm filling somebody else's shoes for the night but you've always been like no just do your thing man like like yeah that somebody already played this but like they're not here so yeah. I mean that's you know. super important to me it's like yeah. if you're if you are on the gig like you are on the gig not and yes maybe it's because like the other guy is busy but like bring your voice to it mm-hmm. and ideally that show will just be awesome for that, for that reason, for the difference. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a thing I learned from jazz. It's like these records that have different bands, different cast of characters playing, you know, one composer stuff. You know, it's like what era, you know, Miles Davis did you like with, oh, well, I like this quintet and I like this quartet. It's like that stuff to me is so cool. And mm-hmm. you just do not find that in rock. You find, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got like a band like, you know, Rush. Who was two, they were together for like 40 years yeah. like, damn like three guys together for 40 years like that's insane but made some amazing music right so i want to kind of dive into a little bit about the projects that you have going on now you had mentioned model decoy mm-hmm. um which is kind of a response to things that happened with the smirk right yeah yeah that was an outgrowth of my first band which was yeah which would have been the band that was um touring with like emo bands and uh you know post hardcore bands <laughs> yeah yeah or yeah where we were always that band that was like what like <laughs> what are you doing but the people that dug it really dug it yeah and then most people were like you look different or like you like you know whatever yeah. it is and that band 
folded after doing some really fun stuff and having some really great experiences and doing that whole like book the tour on MySpace, mm-hmm. MapQuest Binder, shout out MapQuest <laughs> Binders, of course. Yeah. Um, and then Duran and I, I was just like, man, he, he's just my favorite singer and he has so much to say in such a unique way that mm-hmm. we just kept working on stuff. Some stuff that was originally meant for the previous incarnation of the band and has since grown into like, you know, trying to pull whatever sort of production techniques or, or players, um, or not, you know, trying to, trying to self-produce stuff is also a, a goal too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys are mega flexible. It's very cool. I dig it. Yeah. It's cool. And for anybody who doesn't know that band writes exclusively about comic book characters and movies and TV and like, you know, we got everything from like a song about Thor to a song about um, Abed from from Community, RIP Community, NBC. Um, <laughs> but like real like nerd shit, like the most nerdy stuff you can do. But it's still like you say that, right? And then when you listen to the songs, the thing that I think is really clever about Model Decoy and especially about Duran's writing is you can listen to the song and have no idea and yeah. still dig it and it yeah. still has a theme that is accessible but then if he's like oh yeah it's about you know what 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 was that song that we worked on no the hands song we, we did was about uh wonder woman and dr strange like meeting in a bar in like, right. the multiverse on some plane or whatever but it's just a love tune yeah exactly <laughs> yeah boil it down um yeah. i was looking at the the album artwork too how do you guys go about uh deciding the visuals is that something you know like during the writing process or is that uh after the fact so the visuals for the last five singles we just kind of did singles that was one thing that happened when you know pandemic life really set in i was like oh my god like this is we got to get this out like it's got to be now because like who the fuck knows what's going to happen tomorrow Mm -hmm. like it was at that point of like nervousness and anxiety and dread Mm -hmm. and you know um so we put out uh, no hands and ship around at the same time, but all that art was done by my sister. Um, shout out to my sister Kay, cool. who's in Seattle. Nice. She um, she's worked at like a, a glass, like sort of uh, they manufacture things out of glass. So they do these like layered like countertops and um, you know installations for you know rich people's houses. Like they're very <laughs> one of a kind. Cool. She's working there. Um, no longer there, but she was always into collage and like always sends her family these like really cool birthday cards and holiday cards that are collages. So, so I said, you know, this is, this is what these songs are about. Do you have anything? Cause she just has like paper everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you were saying, yeah. Julia, um, she just made some stuff, took pictures with her phone and sent it over. And I was like, you know, this is, this is rad. Like the, the sound and the fury, the Deadpool song, she got that jawline of like, which looks perfect for Deadpool and mm-hmm. um, the ship around that uh, spaceship that she she found was really cool. So that was all her, and but it's all with the knowledge of like I'll I'll say this is what these each song is about. Mm-hmm. So the the lyrics really drive the art, cool. And then I think the music informs the lyrics. Like D will hear a track and then I'll be like, like this is the way that this dude writes. No joke. And Andrew, you've seen this where. They'll just be like, all right, I got it. It's like, and you're like, what? 
and I'd just go in the booth and like sing like a fully formed song. It's as yeah. if like he just straight from his head. It's like oh, struck yeah. like like he's just touched by the finger of you know whatever the divine or something. It's fucked up. It's crazy. And then it'll just be like, give me another track. And you're like, all right. And it goes back in and you're like, oh, there's like six harmonies that are like just in your head. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. That one session that we did, I remember we we booked the studio for two days and he was like, shit, man, I fucked up. Actually, I can only be there tomorrow afternoon. And we were like, oh God, like, are we going to have enough time? And then he showed up and in like two hours, he wrote the whole tune and then like sang all the harmonies and he was like cool so i guess i'll see you guys later i'm gonna get out of here and we were, we were all just like like i practiced for that song for weeks yeah. and he showed up he forgot the session was even happening yeah. and then showed up <laughs> and just like puked out this like brilliant vocal multi-layered like performance yeah and then was like cool i gotta get back on the yeah it's like i gotta work tonight like, yeah what are you are you kidding me he's yeah he's uh he's he's just a bizarre That's unique crazy. one-of-a-kind talent and it was cool because at the end of the the smirks career we had written a couple songs that he was like you know like this one's about venom or and like the symbiote suit and this one's about like um we had a song <laughs> that we put out in 2008 that's about uh the movie liar liar <laughs> <laughs> like it's about Jim Carrey's character and like he he sings about the remember the claw where he's like you know yeah there's like a reference to that in the song and again you wouldn't know it but so he had he'd been dabbling with writing um about these like pre-existing narratives mm-hmm. and then with model decoy we were just like go for it like just whatever you whatever you think do it that's so cool yeah yeah so then uh you also have um rare futures going on how did that yeah. come about uh, so Rare Futures is the brainchild of um, my good friend, Matt Fozzi, mm-hmm. who, I mean, you want to talk about multiple projects. That dude has been in like 90 bands. It's insane. <laughs> um, oh, I, I was a fan of his old band, Happy Body, Slow Brain, which I discovered because he was in Taking Back Sunday for one album cycle. And I was like, who's this dude? Like, this dude's really like crushing. Like he was in, I don't know if you guys remember the... Um, live at Oren Sands DVD they did in this beautiful church in New York. There's this dude who's like playing acoustic. It's an acoustic session in this church. It's beautiful reverberant hall and it's taking back Sunday. So you're like, this is like, okay, I, I really hope they pull this off. Cause like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You guys are not the most like, you know, delicate band, <laughs> but there's this one dude who's like gluing the whole thing together. It's like, who, who is this guy? It's Matt Fozzie. Um, Wow. And, and I was like, he is, a, oh, he's his own band, Happy Body, Slow Brain. And they were looking for like, they needed a bass player for a gig. Like this was like 2010 or 12 or something. Mm-hmm. A gig at the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. And I just wrote him and was like, dude, I love your music. Um, I play bass. Can I jump in? And so we did a rehearsal or two and played that gig. And then their original bass player who was sort of like balancing home life. He was like, I, I you know, I want to come back and tour so we didn't talk for years like five years mm-hmm. and then we sort of both realized he's he's originally from the bay area from san jose and we sort of both realized that we both lived in new york and uh, it was like we f- somehow 
started talking again and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm like switching up the vibe of, um, happy body, slow brain. I want to change the name. And, um, do you think you'd be interested in, in jamming? And I was like, definitely. So I think I originally, how did it go? Oh, we originally had, um, Matt Rubano, who was also, he was, it was Matt and Matt in Taking Back Sunday at the same time. They got hired together and fired together. Um, <laughs> so we played with Rubano, who's a, just a monster bass player for this gig um, at some college, like spring fling. Mm-hmm. And it was dope. And I was playing guitar. I felt good, learned all the stuff. We got offered a tour with the Deer Hunter, and Rubano couldn't do it. And we couldn't find a bass player. And we were like, I was like, you know what? We can rock this as a trio. I was like, I, I'll, I'll play bass. And so we rocked the first tour as a trio yeah. amongst these bands with like two guitars, a, a, like that sort of similar rock scene. And that was really fun too, because that was a moment, again, going back to Julia, what you were saying about validation. It was like, I, I can do this. Like I can play bass and I can play guitar and I can learn the songs mm-hmm. and put my own spin on it. Then that led to us recording a live version of the Rare Features record, This Is Your Brain on Love. It's called This Is Your Brain on Live. Mm. We did it at this awesome studio in Michigan with Mark Hudson and we filmed the whole thing. So we did a video series for every tune, um, put the record out kind of like song by song, started writing again in 2018, as I said, and then here we are. Life happened. Yeah. And now we're sort of circling back to getting the Dropbox, you know, up and running and bouncing ideas back and forth and just figuring out how to like write on zoom Mm-hmm. Shout out Dave Marvulio for like hooking up his uh, sick setup. Uh, <laughs> for I mean, he's got like this dialed in incredible like Multi setup cameras. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's rare features, and and Matt has just always been an insanely talented musician. You know, stepped in with like RX Bandits and mm. played bass, and mm-hmm. you know, just monster player. It's funny how those people somehow always seem to find each other eventually because i I feel the same like the way that you talk about matt i feel similarly about you just like super creative really fluid kind of can jump into any scenario and still sound like yourself that's hard to do man that's like not an easy task to like play someone else's parts but sound Mm -hmm. like yourself and i think it's also about like when you step into those situations again going back to listening it's like if that person is They'll listen to you. They'll listen to what you have to say about their parts and what you say that, oh, this song reminds me of this, you know, whatever tune. I don't know that song. Like, and you start talking about music and just geeking out about music, like in the way you did when you were on Napster or whatever. And just being like, what is the, like, whoa, oh my God, there's like more of this band and this band with like, where you rabbit hole for days, you yeah. know? And yeah. uh, I think the older I get um, and I see my kids, the more I'm like, I start to value the playfulness that that's a big, like having fun. That's, that's part of the element of playing music to me is mm-hmm. have fun. And again, your fun doesn't have to be like Bruno Mars. It can be like, you know, the opposite of Bruno Mars. <laughs> 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 I, keep, I, I keep thinking Meshuggah in my head. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty far like, from Bruno Mars. Yeah. You know, but like there's a fun element to it. Right. A cathartic necessary element to it yeah it also is a testament to like the fact that you've stayed true to following things that you love Mm -hmm. and that it's brought you these people that also love what you're doing and that you kind of plug into that pretty easily and it just 
I feel like that's the ultimate validation is like the people who are in your orbit are people who are not only enjoying your work, but interacting with it and asking for more of it and contextualizing it with their work. And uh, it just sounds like a perfect meshing of worlds. Yeah, it's cool. It feels like a creative community. Mm. Um, it's a dream. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's really not bad. <laughs> uh, I also saw on your website that you did a fair amount of writing as well. Has that always been a part of it or is that kind of just like along for the ride? That's always been something that I could do like mm. from an early age. I could just like put words together on paper and like make it sound good. We usually like in a school setting where it's like, mm. a five paragraph essay. I was like, no sweat. Like mm. I got that book report. It's like easy night before. Like I was always like night before a kid, <laughs> but got good grades. And a lot of times growing up in school, it was like, it was, there were challenges, but uh, when it came to writing, it was like, I didn't really have to try super hard. Mm -hmm. And so that I just, I've kind of done it off and on since then. And certain like interviews have sort of fallen in my, my lap and like in the world of music publicists, there's like, you know, these people who represent an artist and they send out this giant list of contacts. Mm -hmm. And like somehow I got on certain lists and it would be like, oh shit, like I am a huge fan of this person. Like, and I can just talk to their publicist and then we talk like that's crazy. So that yeah. happened a couple of times and started to like parlay that into my own interview series called Wits End, which um, has been really fun. I, I just did episode three, which... Um, I mean, you guys know you, you have a podcast. It's like yep. it's a uh, it's a lot. Like it's a lot of work. It's a shit ton um, of work. Yeah. And I was like, let me just try this, and that's been fun too because I, I am so curious about how people manage their time and like kind of stay sane. Like that's been the yeah. big question for me with that series because, especially with Kit, it's like I can't. It always feels like wow. Like I don't really have that time. I, Mm -hmm. I definitely don't have the time I used to have. Right. But that's so funny that you say that because I feel like, I mean, we've talked about living in an algorithmic world, like everything is curated and you're only given those, like you're only shown those productive moments from the people that you're looking at. And yeah. so like I look at yeah. your breadth of work and I look at where your career is and like what the, the projects that you're working on right now. And I ask that question of like, how does this guy manage his time? And here I am yeah. listening to you say like, oh, how do other people manage their time? Yeah. And it's just like, we're all trying to figure out what time is and like how to fucking deal with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the stuff that we're doing, like it has to something has to push back against the algorithm, you know, mm -hmm. it has to be creative human made stuff. Yeah. Um, I get right now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough, but it's the weird balance of like hard to get right now, but then you open up whatever. And there's like this option paralysis where you're like, I don't know what I want to listen to. That happens to me uh, watching TV all yeah. the time, all the time. The thing I watch the most is the menu on Netflix and Hulu and <laughs> yeah. HBO. And then I go back to HBO and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do that. And then all of a sudden 20 minutes have gone by and I'm like, I don't know. It's almost like know. scrolling on Netflix has now become <laughs> yeah. like an activity. Yeah. You know, like you can you can yeah. doom scroll streaming platforms. Yeah. What the fuck is that? And, right. and they, desi they design it that way. Like they design when they rolled out like the autoplay trailer. Like that's so annoying to me. 
Like, I don't need, I want to see the trailer if I want to see the trailer. Right. Not when I hover over it for literally half a second. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but that's like, it's funny. Uh, like, we talk about time management and everything like that. And time is something that, that comes up all the time in these conversations that we have. And I feel like if you're a creative person, you're just continually challenging yourself to play with time. Mm-hmm. And take that time to do something that is not algorithmically curated or curated by your schedule or your financial standing or whatever the fuck it's like no i'm taking this moment to to play and experiment and like expand yeah and i think with that for me it does mean scheduling that which Mm -hmm. is something that once you sort of put it all in front of you with your like this is the family schedule like because i'm not just responsible for my schedule i'm responsible for schedules of two small children and then my wife and i have to just constantly communicate about our schedules and right. you know what that all means so you know you can't just like pick up the guitar and just at any time just be like oh like i'm home or like be like i'm home alone like that that, that doesn't happen anymore. Right. like right. um but I think that when, regardless of how it happens, it's like if it's scheduled, then fine. Then it's up mm-hmm. to you to maximize mm-hmm. that time. Do you feel like that's helped you learn how to turn the tap on on demand better? Or are you still trying to figure that out? I think I, I have to sort of more premeditate what it is I'm going to do. Sure. Like mm-hmm. if it's if it's like, oh, I do have to like, you know, bounce stems of like a demo for like for the rare features guys. Then it's like, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. before you could just be like i'm gonna do that and then like oh like there's a guitar oh there's a cool like riff and oh let me just open up a, a new session and like you sort of like have things that are you know, then you can pull down and come back to stuff but i think it just means more sticking to your guns mm-hmm. about the task it's more like a task-based schedule which but sometimes the task could be opening up a blank session and just doing the the like the open thing mm-hmm. um and i think that that's equally as important mm-hmm. to, to get that time because like i said that that to me is the fun part just playing around so you've been talking a lot about life with kids which brings us to your most recent project cuckoo yeah can you uh talk a little bit about that so cuckoo is myself and my daughter juniper yeah just she just turned three um a little under a month ago and it started as like she's just has a natural musicality that i think i mean a lot of kids do a lot of people do i think and i would just hold my phone up to her and she'd be like do that you know do that again with a voicemail and she would do it and then all of a sudden i was like wow i have like and then i'd be like singing her little riff or whatever (laughs) and some stuff she came up with was like you know full-on like chorus and so I started to take some of those little snippets and dropping them into to, to a session and then, you know, mapping out the tempo and then being like, this could be, this could be a song. Like, yeah. why does this have to just be a little thing that's private? Mm-hmm. And then that, that was a way of like, especially with the pandemic raging and us just being together 24 seven, you know, no daycare, no jobs for us you know my wife and i both got laid off the daycare that she was in she literally went for five days and then it closed 
Um, Jesus. So we were all just like, okay, we're all together in our apartment. Um, let's try to have fun like with something. Mm-hmm. Let's try to be creative. And it just sort of happened. And then it got really interesting when I was like, oh, there's like real melodies here, going back to what we were talking about, about melody. Mm-hmm. And if you ever like, if you follow guys like Mono Neon or um, there was like the whole... I forget the name of the, the guys who did like, they would take news clips and then, you know, right. melodically break them out. I started like parsing out the melodies. I was like, Oh, like I could just really, really build out a track to these songs. And then all of a sudden there were whatever, six, seven, eight tracks. And, you know, <laughs> she had this, she has this little hat. That's like her cuckoo hat. That's where the name came from. She would go, I'm the singer of cuckoo. And this is when she was all two years old. So she was a two year old, um, tracking all the vocals. And then, uh, yeah, we, we put the, put the tunes together and I was like, let's, let's put this out and then let's try to get some money for the school. We just enrolled her in. That's right. So cool. That ain't cheap. Yeah. And I've literally made more money, not me, her, but we've made more money for her education quick, more quickly than any other project like I've yeah. ever done. And, and 90% of the people who bought the EP, I don't know them. Mm-hmm. And that like, I thought, oh, you know, people who know it are going to buy like our friends and family, just random people out there mm-hmm. <laughs> bought it, yep. which was crazy, crazy to me. So it's been really fun. So um, the next, the next stuff that she, but she's been getting into heavy music. Ooh, like that's she, so cool. Because she loves Trolls World Tour. Um, <laughs> she loves Queen Barb. I don't know if you guys have seen Trolls World Tour. I've seen it many times. <laughs> <laughs> there's this character. There's this character who's like the basically the plot of the movie is that there's a, a hard rock troll, yeah, who wants to make all music rock music, and she's going to go around and all the trolls get their music from their guitar string. She's going to put all the strings in her guitar, play the ultimate power chord. And take over all of Trolldom, yes. basically. So, what like, the character's kind of mean, and like, our our daughter Junie is she's now three, and like, you know, three year olds are like pretty mean. <laughs> so she's like kind of emboldened by that. But uh, the soundtrack has like Rocky, like a Hurricane, and uh, um, Barracuda by Heart, and yeah. um, so she's gotten into, and we'll play her the original, the original songs, of course. But she wants all the new batch of cuckoo songs to be rock on songs that's mm. what she calls them so yeah it's gonna Very get cool it's gonna get heavy <laughs> has she ever given you any notes after making the track of like has she ever art directed you after the fact a little bit yeah sometimes she's like oh, dada not i don't like that or like the but the most rewarding fulfilling part to me is like like you want to you know she'll, she'll toddle over and be like is that are you working on cuckoo and i'd be like yeah, actually, like, do you want to, you know, do you want to hear it and put put the headphones on her? And just seeing the light in her eyes was like worth everything. Yeah. That's something that I've never seen from a listener of what I'm making. That's Somebody who's just like, this is so awesome. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, and then to hear her, she hears her own voice and it's just, uh, it's really special and a really like unique way to connect as a father and a, and a daughter. Mm. definitely yeah it's awesome. i want to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier where you're saying like all kids are are inherently musical and i i do believe fundamentally that 
people are inherently creative. And we unfortunately live in a country in a time where that isn't supported as much as I think it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, one, I really applaud you for taking the time with your kid to like promote that type of voice and, and say like, no, you can do this. Like, mm-hmm. and believing that she just inherently has it. I think that's uh, something that I was fortunate enough to have when I was a kid that I didn't realize was rare. Um, so shout out to my folks for, yeah, for being those kind of supportive people. But um, yeah, it is really interesting when you, I have a lot of younger cousins and when you look at who they are as adults versus who they were when they were kids, cause I don't have any younger siblings, but in all my younger cousins, it's like, man, like we were all on this like endless creativity tip that was either like forcibly removed from us mm-hmm. or nurtured. And I think that is the big difference maker today in creativity. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, arts programs and schools uh, of large scale, not there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and with the, the pandemic, obviously we're seeing like school management just to be unprecedentedly like fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like I was just listening to this podcast about like the schools in Chicago, they've been out of school for like a year, basically. It's like, yeah. it's insane. And the arts programs always are the first to go. Yep. And that sucks. Like, because humans have creativity and humans, you know, people are like, oh, I can't sing. I can't. It's like, just open your mouth and yell a note. <laughs> you're doing it. Like you're right. doing it right there. And you know, I, I, for a long time, um, I taught guitar and I taught a lot of young kids and there was, you, know, you try to break through those walls of like trepidation. I can't, I can't, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's hard. I know fucking mm-hmm. life is hard. Like mm-hmm. that's one thing that a lot of us are really grappling with right now. Although there are a lot of people who are like, look at those mortals on their unemployment. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but yeah, I think nurturing that is so necessary. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know what else I would do with her because she has so much energy and so much like fire to, mm-hmm. to do stuff. And it's like, I got her a little, it's not in here, but um, I did get her a little guitar for her birthday. Um, and she's like, she'll just pick that up and start strumming and just yelling tunes. And it's so awesome. Yeah. It's just super cool because they're the spectrum of toddler, like, uh, attitude. Mm. It's just so wide and so intense. Mm. Yeah. And that's like the whole spirit of it is just like excitement and discovery and self-trust and just like fucking picking it up and just doing whatever comes to you with that. And I feel like that totally gets distilled out of us Mm -hmm. when we learn that we have to, when we learn that there's a right and a wrong way to do things and that there's Mm -hmm. a good and a bad as a result of that. And like cool and a not cool. Right. Exactly. And so like, it's, I feel like at that age, it's not even validating, like making, I don't, it's, it's just validating the process in and of itself of like creativity is good and making mm-hmm. things feels good. And listening to yourself is so cool. And like, I, 
yeah, I I 100% agree that like encouraging your daughter to do this is probably the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I I feel that way. Like I feel like it's cool. It's cool enough to um one of my mother-in-law's uh coworkers was like they should send this to the Ellen DeGeneres show. And you know, past me might have been like, oh, no, like I don't, you know. Like who's Ellen like whatever. But I was right. like, you know what? Fine. I'll submit. So I, so I submitted to the Ellen show. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. let's let's do this. And then I started thinking about like, you know, the social media presence of the band because I like started an Instagram account and and was like, I think that I think I hope that this is a good introduction to social media. Also, yeah, that like it's not yourself in a way that's on social media. It's not your whole self. It's a betrayal. It's a yourself. it's a part of yourself. Right. And so many people curate it, however they want and obviously a lot of people you know who are influencers or whatever have like that's where their livelihood mm -hmm. is but to show her that like you know social media like yeah put your band on social media like that maybe that that's what it's for for not to know that you know you can have your own account like mm -hmm. you don't need to know yeah. that right now but yeah. have your band account like maybe that's maybe that's a healthier way to introduce her um mm -hmm. you know we'll see she can already and I've seen kids do this before. I don't know if you have, but like they can already, you know, swipe. But the, the phone, the phone is so intuitive to them. It's like right. she can already do all that stuff. Zoom in and turn the camera on. It's like I didn't damn. even think about like being uh, calculated with how you introduced social media to your child. That's like a whole nother layer to parenting that nobody yeah. really had before this like past decade. So crazy. And and again, shout out to netflix scrolling and landing on social dilemma um you know there's the statistic in the in the documentary that's like you know the teen the suicide rate for girls ages 10 to 14 has gone up like 150 percent in the last 50 percent like since 2009 or something like since after 2000 the very recent time and that was terrifying to me so like how like we need we need a healthy relationship with it like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, she's not going to have a relationship with it. Like, no, she can already, you know, she watches PBS kids on the iPad. Like, because right. mm -hmm. you need, because, you know, all these parents who are like, you know, we don't do screen time. It's like, wow. That's like cutting out an entire social part of life now, though. But it's also cutting out an entire half hour or an hour that you need to make dinner as a parent right. or that you need to like, you know, do something. Right. right. <laughs> so you need these tools and uh yeah learning like learning how to parent is it is this there there are so many other obstacles and and variables with mm -hmm. the screens and the internet because i didn't think about it until like yes yesterday i was like this feels like a good way to to show her the beginnings of social media mm -hmm. of like interaction with people for her to be able to see that as a tool and not as like life life yeah i mean that's what they talk about in this documentary it's like there's a tool there's the idea of a tool it just it's there it's already there to be used mm -hmm. and social media started as such it started as these tools for connection and it's become the focus of the, of the documentary is about like how we are the product we're not like we're we're being sold to these yeah. the, the yeah. advertisers are the ones who are buying and selling like data our like lives yeah. like right. it goes beyond the data it goes on to manipulate the data so that you will 
hit that ad and you know it right. keeps and you, you'll engage with your phone it's like god damn like they're right they're just yeah. right there's no way around it yeah i also i feel like i'm at a point with social media where i, I remember when i first got an instagram i was really excited because i had access to art that i normally wouldn't i mean the internet in general gives you access to uh consuming art in a way that you you couldn't before it makes things way more accessible and that accessibility is good but then it gets to this point where it's oversaturated and now i feel oversaturated because i like scroll through and before breakfast i've seen like a hundred pieces of art and now i like don't even know what's going on in my brain and like it it's too much information mm-hmm. it is distracting and i mean there are wonderful things about it but uh i find it extremely distracting and creatively draining Mm. like we talk a lot about the exchange of energy right you can only take so much in before you have to put some of it out right and if you're just constantly on input your output is clogged you know what i mean you can't you can't absorb that much and then make something out of it you have to like I feel like energy always moves in equivalent sizes yeah. and you have to be able to, to harness that in a way and use it. Definitely. All right. Where do you go for input? What do you turn towards? Um, I mean, I, like I said, I do still listen to music. Um, I found myself buying uh, a good amount of vinyl like as the pandemic kicked off as a way to like support artists because i couldn't go to shows not that like i was really going to shows anyway because i was mm-hmm. working but i was like buying these vinyls and that that felt really good because it's a nice tangible product and i'm of the age that and andrew and i've talked about this a lot where an album means a lot it's a record means a lot um so that was mm-hmm. that was nice to like hold physical products in my hand and put them on the turntable mm-hmm. i would say that i like to watch movies but i haven't watched a movie in a long time i feel like it's hard as a parent Mm -hmm. i really miss i think what the thing i miss the most about this stupid pandemic bullshit is not going to the movies like that was such a fun thing that was like as a like again as a parent it's like you could really have a good date night like you could get some dinner go to a movie have like a really Mm -hmm. good hang come back pay the babysitter nice recharge certain certain tv shows for sure we just started season three of fargo we're a season behind but that show is like i feel like i have an appreciation now for directing and lighting in a way that Mm -hmm. that i didn't before that show is incredibly shot and edited (sighs) yeah these i think these days there's a lot of input from the kids a lot of dealing with them and being creative and how you're stringing together these sort of micro moments or or trying to make them you know teaching moments like they say Mm -hmm. but there's just so so many and so many ways that you could you could go and you're always sort of because you you're supposed to have the knowledge the foreknowledge and you know they're they're supposed to be the ones who are sort of learning to manage emotions and stuff um right but then you have to get you have to be cognizant of that like you have to say sort of like this is the goal of what i'm telling her right now again she's like a three-year-old she woke up in the middle of the night just like needed needed mommy i need water my nightlight's too bright no like yelling like stuff like that where you're just like you can't yell back because that's Mm -hmm. not okay but you can't just be like do you know do whatever you want like that's not okay either you have to it's about management so there's a lot of that as input right now we're 
living in Connecticut in this beautiful shoreline town. So getting outside and like, you know, I can see the ocean from here, which is always a nice recharge. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, stuff like that. When you listen to like a lot of music, how do you avoid yourself from just regurgitating? How do you mm. make sure that it's just inspired by? Mm. That's a good question. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll be like, wow, you, you just totally ripped that off. Like, and it's so obvious. <laughs> but I think oftentimes it's because it's like an eclectic variety mm-hmm. that it will sound like I'll pull something from, you know, one sound or genre, but apply it to something completely different. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think contextualizing is important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes like, you yeah that's that's the beatles or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah well shit i know you have uh what like a 2 p.m cutoff here i mean i feel like we touched on a ton of great stuff it was really great so one thank you for that thank you guys for having me yeah, yeah thanks um, for taking the time yeah for sure uh so we always i prepped you for this one but yeah we always ask for three artists that you appreciate and would recommend either we talk to or shed some love to so who do you got um let's see i got um my lifelong homie alex uh marins who goes by the name of dd walker mm-hmm. as his um creative musical moniker he just dropped a new single uh we've played together for years we like grew up going to synagogue together like that kind of <laughs> that kind of <hang. laughs> um but just a great like uh great sort of pop melodicist an artist multi-instrumentalist all around good dude cool um dd walker uh got a shout out my homie mike jones who i'm gonna put out this really cool cuckoo art that he did he goes by the name the whole thing when they got there the whole thing when he got there he's got uh, a coloring book out that's all pictures of arnold schwarzenegger in various (laughs) crazy situations (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah but yeah Junie was like uh, one day i was like do you do you think like you know if, if we were to make like a cuckoo t-shirt or like a, what, what would you want on it and she was just like um i want an alpaca skating on purple ice with red wings and helping up you'd be a llama not an alpaca and i'm like aren't those the same like <laughs> but they're not uh she played down this whole visual and then i sent it over to, to my homie mike and he was like cool i got this so it's a really cool cool piece that we're gonna make some merch of which cool. we're really yes. stoked for yes um i shouted out my sister of course mm-hmm. she's she's a great great collagist um what's her name her name is Kay k sadowitz and then um you know i got a shout out i got a shout out my wife who is uh she is an esthetician so she does this sort of like hands-on energy a lot of energy giving she's just incredible when it comes to like you talk about transfer of energy like Mm. there's a very tactile version of that so she is artful in her practice Mm -hmm. um which has been cool side note that's like she's been doing house calls because of the pandemic so she has like a whole kit of like it's like a fold out table and it's like a suitcase. And we're, we're talking like, if you see this, this case, you'd be like, Oh, she's like, that's a DJ or something like, right. <laughs> it's like a, right. you know, clips and stuff, blah, black. And, uh, so she'll roll to a client's house like that. So we've basically been doing these little like 
aesthetics tours yeah. to clients' houses. Cool. And I realized that's what touring in a van, like it really prepared me for these moments. Of yeah. Like you got to load the gear, unload, like go find yeah. something to do, come yeah. back and <laughs> just, you know, ready for anything kind of, kind of vibe. So yeah, you know, dude. Yeah. That's the life. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for taking the time for the interview. Really loved it. Really great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to episode 20 of The Seedcast featuring musician Ari Sadowitz. For more information about our show and our guests, both previous and upcoming, Please follow us at The Seedcast on Instagram or email us at casttheseed at gmail.com. Coming up next week, we sit down with guitarist and songwriter Zach Comtois. Stay tuned in.